You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Kim Grenolds with Dogman.com with Chris Fetter. Scott Eklund taking a little bit of time off with the family. So, Chris, you have no clue. He's traveling with the kids out of state. Just uh, taking two kids on an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck, well, I've Scott. Been a, I've been a passenger on planes when people have done that. So I oh, have a little bit of experience with it. God, the maddest. I, one of the maddest my ex-wife ever got mad at me because I'm, I'm a child, basically, and we were traveling on the plane down to Disneyland. And I don't know if anybody remembers this stuff, but it was called farts in a jar. And you'd put your fingers in this goo and it would make fart sounds. And my youngest smuggled it on the airplane and was doing it three or four times. And everybody around us was cracking up. But, yeah, my ex didn't think it was funny. So Whatever happened to the old whoopee cushions, man? Ah, that, snuggle one of those on ah, farts in a jar was way better i mean oh, yeah okay. <laughs> yeah so anyways good luck to scott on an airplane with his two kids he's down doing some family stuff but just kind of a slow time during the year you know chris i was doing some stuff yesterday <laughs> uh spring ball is just around the corner it starts march 3rd actually it won't be number 26 for you, but we started covering April 1st of two, uh, 1997. So this will be your 26 of spring ball for the guys at dogman.com. 26, Chris, 26 spring balls that we've covered. That just seems like a whole lot. Well, you, you, you'll you have to fill in the gaps, Kim, because like you said, I wasn't there for the first couple. So you, you can tell us all, uh, what it was like, I guess. Well, I just remember that when we first approached UW about doing this, uh, they had no clue what to do with us. Um, um, and basically, it came down to the SID just saying, yeah, there's just no way we're going to allow you guys to do anything. And pretty much the message was, well, you either deal with us or Mr. Heckman, so choose your poison, because at that time we were independent and we weren't with Jim. But, you know, they let us in and, you know, spring ball, I'll never forget you know for some of you who remember when jim lambright was here they used to have a guy at the gate larry and larry wasn't quite all there and you had to have a pass to get into practice and bruce king the the legendary bruce king walked in and he didn't have his practice pass and uh, uh larry wouldn't let him in you had to have a practice pass, and I'll just never forget Jim Lambright walking and damn it, Larry, it's Bruce King. He doesn't need a damn practice pass. You know, that was one of my first, you know, where I was actually close to Jim Lambright being uh, upset, irate, and pissed off. And when Jim Lambright was irate, pissed off, and angry, um, he's a scary dude. I, I don't know how much of that you remember, Chris, but you didn't want to be around Coach Lambright if he's mad at you. No, I mean, Jim was really, really nice to me. I never got to see that side of him. But I, you're bringing up the practice pass thing, and I'm trying to remember when the last spring ball was that we needed practice passes. I mean, because it's it's a pretty insular group. And Jeff Bechtold, who's been the SID at Washington now for football since 91, I mean, it's it's been a long time since, you know, I mean, he knows everyone. And. So it's not exactly rocket science when he's taking roll calls, so to speak, and 
making sure that he knows everyone that's supposed to be there. And obviously we get, you know, some sideways glances when the, when the interns make their first appearance. And as soon as we tell them, Oh yeah, yeah, you know, here's our guys, you know, they're students and blah, blah, blah. I get used to seeing them. Uh, everything's cool. But I'm, when's the last time we, we ever needed a practice pass for spring? Well, back then, honestly, Chris, it was a lot more people that, covered the team I mean, there was it was typically you know a couple guys from the times a couple guys from the pi you had the columnists you had the radio stations you had the tv stations and anymore it just seems like when we're at practice in spring ball it will be me you and scott three guys from dogman and interns so three to four of us and then one guy from the times and uh Maybe, you know, Christian from The Athletic is there quite a bit. But other than that core group, the rest of it's pretty inconsistent. The guys from KJR show up once in a while. Softy's there, but probably, you know, a quarter of the time, maybe half the time. But the newspaper guys, I mean, the uh, TV guys are just there to get a little bit of film. And that's about it. So it's just nowhere near the amount of uh, coverage for Husky football that we saw back in the day. Yeah, and I still think it goes back to the time where, uh, you know, because the Seahawks have taken over the town. I still think it goes back to the time where Tyrone Willingham and Todd Turner just alienated so many people. You know, and I talked about this back in the day, Chris. They alienated so many people. They didn't get a lot of them back, including news media. They just didn't. Well, I do know that in talking to the TV guys from time to time, it, they are definitely pulled in multiple directions. Like for spring football, you know, once it starts at the end of March, beginning of April, which it normally would, um, you know, those those guys are, are torn between whether they cover Washington or whether they're going to cover the Mariners. Um, Sounders are starting their their coverage back up as well. Um, you know, so those guys are getting pulled in, in a bunch of different directions. I know when the fall hits and the Seahawks are, are in the thick of their thing, that really pulls them too because a lot of what, what the Seahawks and the Huskies are doing in terms of practice and availability and things like that are often around the same time. So they have to make a choice. And so, yeah, you know, instead of seeing the, the TV guys every day, for instance, during spring or fall camp, you might see them once or twice a week tops. And, well, let's, uh, yeah, well, let's be honest too. You know, mainstream media is uh, not what it was when we first started the, uh, you know, it's kind of like the local news. How many people watch the local news that are under the age of 50? And a lot of, not a lot of people are watching that. And even the newspapers, hardly, most of the kids I know, my son's age, is they don't pick up a newspaper. Everything is online. So online is pretty much where everything is moved to. And mainstream media is nowhere near as important as it used to be, except for watching the game. Yeah. And so that's where you'll see some of the some of the other like the Times, They'll you know, the bringing in a photographer every day or at least once or twice early in spring in spring ball to get all the pictures they need and some of the video and stuff like that. I know, um, you know, they're, they're having their writers who would normally just do nothing but write. They're now having to do some of the audio visual stuff as well. So it's, um, you know, because they're getting into podcasting, they're getting into sides that, you know, until, just recently in the last four or five years, that would be something that only the online folks would do. So that'd basically just be us. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's definitely turned to quite, quite a bit. I I'm kind of curious for your take, you know, we're literally a week away from the pre-spring press conference. So we're recording this on Friday, the 24th, Friday, the 3rd of March. 
So remember, it's a, it's a short, short month at the end of the month for February. So a week from now is the press conference. And then that following Monday is the first practice of spring, March 6th. I, I mean, what's your take on, on why you think Washington has divvied up their practice so that they've got three in the front and then they don't start their final 12 until, um, you know, March 29th, which is also going to be their pro day. I don't think it's really that big of a deal. Chris Peterson was big on kind of splitting it up a little bit. And I think it's just a way to have the guys engaged for a longer period of time, because if they didn't have the spring practice on the third, the sixth and the eighth, if they didn't have it, they would still be doing their workouts and get togethers on those days, whether it's classroom or whatever. So I don't see it as that big of a deal. I think it's a way for them to maybe get some things on film and get them in front of the guys. But we've talked to some of the coaches, you know, where we've seen them at the basketball games and seen them at some camps and things. And they've told us that the starting point for this spring ball is so far ahead of the starting point a year ago because a year ago, Everything was new, and they had a lot of installs to do. So they don't have anywhere near the amount of installs to do as they did a year ago. They're a lot more familiar with the personnel, but I don't think it's a big deal at all. Uh, like I said, it's just they were going to be doing something football-wise those days anyways. So get them out on the field, get them a little bit used to it, uh, you know, and then – the gap is, what are we talking? We, we got practice on March 3rd, 6th, and 8th. No, and no, no, no. 6th, 6th, 8th, and 10th. The 3rd is the press conference. Okay, the 6th, 8th, and 10th. And then um, the gap is, what, uh, two and a half weeks? It's all the way till the very, very end. They're basically they're coinciding their break with spring break between the winter quarter and the spring quarter. Yeah, I Like I said, I don't see it as that big of a deal, and we can get into the football stuff um, more in a little bit. But you know, I think that there's a lot more things for them to be concerned about uh, this year when it has to do with a quarterback. And I think that's going to be the first thing that we're going to be looking at, Chris, when we get there. Is it going to be just Michael Penix and Dylan Morris or have they got another guy that we don't know about that can take some of those reps? Because when you've only got two guys – taking all the reps, that's a lot of work. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I, I My take on it all in terms of splitting the practices up is I think they're trying to get those first three practices done under their belt for all the new guys that are here. Because right now, they're trying to assimilate over 20 new players right now. I mean, they're not going to get everybody until the leap shows up in June, at the end of June, and then they work their way into fall camp where they'll have all their players available, available. Like, you know, Austin Mack is, is, you know, a guy that everyone knows now reclassified quarterback, all that stuff. Well, he's not going to be here until, until June. So, you know, it's a situation where, you know, they're going to have some key pieces still having to wait for them in the summer, but they've got basically 90% of their team for 2023 already here including all of the, the college transfers and junior college transfers. I think, in my opinion, my take on it is, is they're trying to get all those guys, you know, they want to get them three practices in so that they get a great kind of foundation as to how practices are run, what's life like in real time, 
how they can deal with practice, school, all that stuff. And so then by the time the end of March comes around for the final 12 practices, they can hit the ground running. They don't have to have that breaking in time, that assimilation time where they've had to do it with a bunch of other guys. I just think the numbers, Kim, suggest that they just needed to have those two or three practices to just get everybody up to speed and on the same page. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, and and I tend to poo-poo a lot more stuff than a lot of people, but I don't think it's a big deal at all. It's just... It's just a little bit different. You know, you're just moving the deck chairs around a little bit more. But also, you know, it's football. You get dinged. So if you can have the guys engaged over a longer period of time and spread out those practices a little bit more, maybe it saves a little bit on injuries. Maybe, maybe, you know, the bumps and bruises won't be as severe. And, you know, when we're talking about the guys that are going to be here for spring ball, because I can't ever remember this many freshmen coming in for spring ball. This is this is probably as high as I've ever seen it. Well, and that's part of the reason why I think they're doing it is because you have so many first year guys now, because, you know, I, I mentioned all the transfer guys, you know, because they've got, you know, uh, Dylan, like, but, but for instance, Dylan Johnson won't be here until the beginning of spring, uh, spring quarter. So he won't be here until the final 12 practices. So that's a, an interesting wrinkle. How would that fit in? Well, bottom line is Wayne Talapapa didn't show up until fall last year. And look at the impact he had on the offense. So didn't arrive until Reggie, fall, but was named team captain. Stop and think about that. Right, and and so yeah, and and that goes to his abilities and what he did at Virginia. I get, but bottom line is Dylan Johnson's a veteran running back at the Power Five level. He's not going to need to be bedded in at the running back spot like a Tybo Rogers will, for instance, the high school player from Bakersfield who's already here on campus. So, you know, when you're looking at a Jabbar Muhammad or a Raylan Goforth or a Dylan Johnson, Daniel Ngata, uh, Jeremy Bernard even, you know, these guys have been in college football. They know how it works. So I don't think this is going to be so much for those guys as it's going to be for the for the guys, the freshmen that you mentioned who are already here. And there are a ton of them, you know, uh, to our knowledge, based on the, the information that Scott was able to provide and, and the signing class. There's tons of freshmen that are already here. Tybo Rogers, uh, offensive lineman Zach Henning, uh, Lennius Davis, the defensive lineman, uh, Anthony James from Texas, the edge player, he's here. Both the linebackers are here, and Devin Bryant, Jordan Whitney, uh, the the you know Thaddeus Dixon is the defensive uh, JC uh, cornerback, he's here. Diesel Gordon, the high school uh, safety from Texas, is here, and then we're expecting Landon Hatchett and Caleb Presley, the two local stars to be here also when Dylan Johnson shows up for spring uh, quarter. So, you know, there's a ton of guys. This is why I think it was important to maybe, and maybe that's what their thinking was. The coaches were like, you know, with so many new guys that we just have to get them up to speed on, you know, what's the transition going like from one period to the next period. We're always running. We're always doing, these are things that you can talk about in the, in the film room, Kim, and you can talk about it in the meetings but until you actually go out and see it and you're in the Dempsey indoor, for instance, and you're running around and you're in the middle of it, you, you probably don't have a real appreciation for it until you go through it. And maybe they just want to use those three practice to, practices to get all those guys kind of just comfortable so that when they come back after spring break, they're ready to roll. And get climatized to the weather. That's it. <laughs> 
it could get cold out there for spring ball when you're out on the east field and uh, the wind starts kicking up off the water. It's a different kind of cold out there. But, uh, you know, we're, we're just looking forward to getting some more football, especially taking a look at these new guys, especially uh, there's some guys that I'm really intrigued with just to see what they physically look like. And, you know, probably the guy that I'm most impressed with seeing, you know, interested in seeing is the tight end. Uh, Josh Cuevas, who they brought in, who's a transfer, um, interested in seeing him. And um, who's the uh, defensive end from uh, South Dakota? Zach Durfee. Yeah, interested in looking and seeing how he looks on the hoof. Yeah, they sound like they're very similar body types, around 6'5", 6'6", 250. Um, You know, very curious. Obviously, with, with guys that size, you always want to see how they move and things like that. So, um, there's no doubt that those guys are going to step up right away. It's interesting with Cuevas because I think he has a similar body type to Quentin Davis or Quentin Moore, excuse me. And um, and I and 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 Moore was supposed to be kind of more that guy that could really attack the seams at tight end, get down the field. I think he's still that kind of guy because um, Devin Culp and Jack Westover have really turned into these two true. Um, dual threat kind of guys that can that can block as well as catch passes kind of in that drew sample mold or that um will disley mold whereas a guy like cuevas i mean he he's coming off a season at cal poly where he caught i think close to like 60 passes um he he's not going to catch 60 passes at washington next year he may he may catch 60 passes by the time he's done at washington um but I think it's just going to be really interesting to see what happens because you've got now you've got four legitimate threats at tight end. And we're not even talking about Ryan Otten, who has a chance to come in. Who knows if he's 100 percent healthy, what his situation is. Is he going to need another year to really kind of ramp up so that by this, this time next year, he's full on ready to go? Because they're, they're going to need guys to step up once guys like Culp and, and Westover graduate. Right. Um, so, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I think Cuevas is certainly a guy that's very intriguing. Well, the thing of it is, too, when you walk into that tight end room, the guy who looks like a dude is Quentin Moore. I mean, yeah. he, he is put together, unfortunately. And, you know, people are going to probably bag on him a little bit for his lack of production. He wasn't 100 percent much last year. He just he, he just seemed to have that lingering injury and we never saw him at 100 percent. He always seemed a little bit banged up. So that's what I'm looking forward to seeing. Because I, I mean, if you look at him, if you just saw him, he looks like the guy. Yeah, it's true. And, and and when you look at Ryan Grubb's offense, when it was at Fresno State and you watched some tape and, you know, I was watching highlights as soon as I found out that he got hired by DeBoer, you know, you look at it and being the third tight end in that offense is kind of like being the fullback. You might get in a little bit. I mean, it's it's not it's not completely uncommon for Grubb to use three tight ends on a particular play, but it's maybe five percent of the entire offense where he might go three tight ends if that so it, it's tough to be that third guy and Devin Culp and Jack Westover have established themselves to the point where they're the guys and there's really no two ways around that and so that's why again it's going to be interesting to see what Cuevas can do uh, because not only does he need to you know compete against those guys but now he also needs to compete against Quentin Moore to at least be that third guy for sure but you know, to try to to outseat uh, to unseat guys like Culp and Westover, I think it's going to be an awfully big task for a guy like Cuevas to do right away. 
I'm trying to remember the defensive lineman they brought over to play tight end on goal line uh, last year. Um, good question. Do you remember they brought in, um, was it uh, Jeremiah Martin? Well, Jeremiah, they... yeah, Jeremiah Martin definitely lobbied to play a little bit of offense when he could. So they, they could certainly, they can certainly have that in their arsenal. I mean, I don't know if like if you're if you're thinking they might do that with Zach Durfee because he does have a uh, he does have a history of playing offense. I mean, he was a quarterback in high school. Um, I, I don't I don't know if they would put that on his plate right away. Um, but what well, about MJ, just, what about MJ Ole? Well, I'm just saying that they uh, they did that uh, for a game or two. But then it seemed to be handed off to uh, Garen Hatchett was that guy that they would bring in in that instant. And it was more of a blocking thing than a pass receiving thing. It was more of a blocking for goal line where they brought him. And I, I thought it was kind of odd when they moved uh, Martin over there for a couple of plays. Uh, I didn't get it, but you know, maybe they had a play or two in there where they could check into it that they never did, you know, for a passing play down on the goal line. So, well, uh, knowing, knowing Jeremiah, the way we do, Kim, yeah. all that he lobbied for it heavily. Oh, I'm sure he lobbied for it heavily. I I, I don't know if you remember this. Uh, was it Caleb McGarry who caught the pass? They had Caleb McGarry out there catching a pass one time, or was it Trey Adams who caught it? Oh, it was Trey. Uh, was it Trey? Yeah, yeah, it was Trey. It was on a screen. Yeah. yeah. And, Where he was tackle eligible. Yeah, and they threw one to Trey. Didn't do much, but I know that uh, after that, Caleb McGarry, whoever didn't get it, I think it was Caleb McGarry, was lobbying like crap to, you know, hey, I want a chance. And by the way, happy birthday, Caleb McGarry, yesterday. So uh, shout out to Caleb. But, uh, yeah, just look, you know, that tight end, like I said, Josh Cuevas. But uh, Durfee is that other kid where uh, out of South Dakota, and Scott had a chance to see him. We haven't, but he was pretty impressed with the kid's size. Oh, there's no question. I don't. He's just played defense for like a year, so he's very much in that kind of Will Disley, Caleb McGarry mold, where he has a year at, at one position, or has played most of his life at a certain on a certain side of the line, and then gets flipped. And so it'll be interesting to see how he reacts. But I, to be honest with you, I'm I'm a lot more interested to see how he deals with the physicality, because the physicality at the Power Five level is is ramped up to such a degree that it it, it, it it's going to feel like when he played for Sioux Falls was playing like high school ball like really high level like trinity league type high school ball cuz i can't imagine that the physicality at that level with Sioux Falls is anything like what he's going to experience this coming fall he's going to be like a freshman and the nice thing about it too Kim is but there's plenty of guys there's you know when you talk about uh, Braylon Trice, you talk about Zion Tupola Fatui, you talk about Savelle Smalls, you talk now Maurice Himes, he started to make some waves coming through. I, I think he's got to be one of the guys you have to be most excited about coming through as a breakthrough guy in 2023. So you've got, you know, those four guys right there. And then, you know, a guy like Durfee can still feel like he can come in, maybe play five or 10 snaps a game, really get his feet settled under him. And then 2024, he can come out and explode because they're going to need that because they, they're, they're going to lose Trice. They're going to lose ETF. Um, you know, they're, they're going to have they're going to have to replace those guys. And, and Durfee, basically, to me, the way I'm looking at this on paper, this is his year to really get comfortable 
And then once, you know, he's going to play a number of games. He's going to play, he's going to play some, but he's not going to be counted for, he's going to be that fourth guy at least. Um, if not a little lower and depending on what else happens, but yeah, I think it's, you know, if he, if he does what he can do in 2023, getting comfortable, I think next year, sky's the limit. And the guy, when you take a look at the playing time where you talk about him being the third, fourth, or fifth guy, I think the guy that Durfee's going to be competing with for playing time on the field is a kid that we haven't heard a whole lot of. We hear from him all the time because he's kind of an outgoing and boisterous kind of guy. Lance Lance Holtzclaw, um, I know that there's a lot of people really excited in you know, behind the scenes that are really excited about that kid. He needs to put on some weight. He was pretty thin when he got here, but uh, he's starting to bulk up, and uh, that's a guy to keep your eye on as well. Yeah, size-wise, he wasn't he wasn't all too dissimilar from uh, Daniel and got his brother, Ariel, who was at Washington a number of years ago. And they, he came in as a rush specialist, but he was a smaller-framed kid. And there's no doubt that if Holdsclaw is put on 10, 15, 20, really, really good pounds. Um, he can be a guy that can make that difference. There's no, there's no question about it. I mean, he is kind of the next up in line. Also, can't forget about uh, Sakai, the the uh, junior transfer, uh, you know, edge player who's going to be that guy and more in the Jeremiah Martin style because he's more like 265, 275. And, um, you know, they're going to expect him to do some things too. And, you know, They've got a couple of those walk-on guys that are kind of, they're on the fringes. They're they're bigger scout team players, but you look at uh, Milton Hopkins, you look at Jake Jennings, you look at some of those guys, um, and then you've got the freshman coming through. I mean, who knows if Anthony James could come in and make an impact. You know, Jacob Lane, the, the local player from Emerald Ridge and Puyallup. I mean, these are guys for the future. But Jake, Anthony James is already listed at 265, Kim. Um, does that mean he's physically ready to handle it? I wouldn't think so, but I, you just can't, can't discount guys. Guys can come out of nowhere. We saw it with Zion a couple years ago. Guys can literally just come out of the woodwork and just blow the doors off. So they've got bodies, they've got numbers, but who is going to emerge from that pack? That's going to be the curious thing. And when you take a look at Anthony James, and I've seen him a couple of times, you know, on campus, you know, with his polo shirt on. And he's one of those guys where he may be 265 right now. But uh, once he spends some time in the weight room, he's going to look completely different. He doesn't have that muscular build yet i'm sure he'll get there so that's kind of what's exciting about a kid like anthony james introducing the two-way v4 where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance with fuel cell each step feels explosive delivering unparalleled energy return paired with fresh foam experience maximum comfort throughout the game its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition the two-way v4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
you know, Chris, one of the things that we haven't had a chance to talk to, because it just hasn't been a whole lot going on to do the podcast, but we haven't had a chance to talk very much about since it happened was, and that was with Ryan Grubb. He flirted with Texas A&M. He uh, went down to Alabama to meet with uh, Nick Saban. Uh, Word is he was offered the offensive coordinator job at Alabama and turned it down. But Kind of an interesting situation with Ryan Grubb where, you know, he got a raise during the season back in December. He got another raise. He got two bumps all the way up to $2 million. And I know that when he went down to visit Texas A and excuse me, down to Alabama and he went down there, that didn't go over real well with a lot of people up here. They thought he was gone. So, you know, just kind of what are your thoughts about what went on with Ryan Grubb? Well, I, you know, in hindsight, it's it's easier to talk about. But in the in the heat of it, it's tough because you, you, you can see both sides and both sides make sense. So two things can be true at the same time. You can feel like you're being taken care of at Washington when you get a bump to two million dollars a year. That that's got to make him top three coordinator in the country. Right. In terms of pay that's, up there. I don't I don't know. I don't know any coordinator west of the Mississippi. That makes $2 million a year. Maybe there are. I, I'm not aware of them. Um, so you could feel like you're being taken care of, yet at the same time, when Nick Saban calls, are you really going to hang up on him? Hell no. No one would. No one would, in their right mind, hang up when Nick Saban's calling you, telling him that, oh, by the way, Ryan, we really like what you've been doing in Seattle. We'd like you to come down to Tuscaloosa and take a look at what we're doing and see if maybe it works, see if, see if we can work something out. I mean, of course he's going to take that call. Of course he's going to go visit that. Why Why wouldn't you? I mean, at the very least, now he's just got another guy in the Rolodex that he can call up and say, oh, by the way, I'm kind of curious about this offense or this defense or this. It's just more people now that he can use in, in you know, as, as, as coordinators, as coaches, as guys, when you're around the country, you, you're always trying to create networks and you're trying to, you know, expand your horizons and there's no doubt ryan grubb wants to be a head coach one of these days and he's going to be a head coach sooner rather than later but the bottom line is these things can all be true together you can be taken care of you can feel like you're really wanted in seattle and washington but when when a team like alabama calls you you take the call if nick saban calls you you take the call so i i think it was i think it was one of those things where you know, the, the SEC schools clearly have been paying attention to what Ryan Grubb's been doing. Clearly, Jen Cohen's been paying attention to what the landscape is like. And so he's paying she's paying Ryan Grubb accordingly. Yeah. I think that the biggest thing is, is that when when Ryan Grubb goes on KGR and tells Softy and Dick Fane and everyone else there that it would have been out of his character to take a job like Alabama when he was convincing Michael Penix and, and Jalen McMillan and Roma Dunze and. Troy Falatanu to all come back and be a part of an amazing offensive arsenal in 2023, it, it wouldn't have been him yep. to do all those things and then all of a sudden bolt. Well, the thing that I'd heard from multiple people, you know, inside and outside the program is it kind of felt a little bit 
or more than a little bit about what they were going through with Jimmy Lake back in the day where Jimmy's defense, you know, defensive back started getting a lot of attention. Jimmy started getting a lot of attention. Jimmy started flirting with every school, not only as a defensive coordinator, but as a head coach. Um, and they bumped him up several times. Pete Kwiatkowski stepped aside for him to be defensive coordinator. And it just seemed like Jimmy had that wandering eye for so long and, I don't know if this is the right term or not, but, you know, just a little bit of holding, uh, you know, the school as hostage. If I don't get taken care of, if I don't get what I want, I'm going to leave. And with Ryan Grubb, you know, getting the one bump and then flirting with Texas A&M and then bumping him all the way up to two million dollars and then having him flirt, not only flirt with Alabama, but I know that I think that there was a lot of confidence that they had talked and you know talked to the agent uh for ryan grubb i think it's caa and by the way agents are causing a lot of the turmoil with the assistant coaches but i think they felt pretty confident that he would not go down and interview with nick saban because the thought is you get on the plane and you go down to alabama you meet with jim uh with nick saban you're not coming back and i think that it kind of rubs some people the wrong way that not only what we talked about with, you know, the first bump, the second bump after flirting with Texas A&M, but we talked about how, you know, Troy Fautanu, Romo Dunsey, Jalen McMillan, all these guys that he talked into keeping back and keeping the band back together. And then he went and talked to Nick Saban. How do you think Michael Penix felt? I mean, honestly, as I've heard, how do you think he felt? Well, I guarantee you he was pissed off. I guarantee you all those guys were pissed off. Oh, yeah. But I think, you know, if you're if you're Kalen DeBoer or if you're some of the other coaches, offensive coaches on that staff, and you're tasked with the idea of trying to calm your guys down a little bit, like if you're Jamarcus Shepard and you see all this stuff going and you see Roma Dunze and Jalen McMullen come into your office going, what the hell is going on? What what are we what what's going on, man? They have to they have to educate these guys, and I'm sure they did it, and 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 it was easy for them to do it because they have to explain to these guys that okay, we're in the NIL era now, <laughs> we're in the era where you guys are getting paid now, so you need to understand and look at these things through the lens of business. Now this is these are things where you're getting thrown into the deep end, guys. You're getting and you're getting an object lesson right now on how the world works when it comes to what's in your best interest in a team game. And so you want to balance that dynamic of what's the best for you and maybe your family compared to what's in the best interest for your team and the future. Good luck. Because well, those aren't easy questions to ask. Well, I tell you this. I'm going to ask Michael Penix how he felt when he knew that Ryan Grubb was down in Tuscaloosa interviewing. You know we're going to ask Ryan Grubb about that. I and would be stunned if it's not the first question Michael Penix has asked when yeah. the media talk to him. And Romo Dunsey. And Jalen McMillan. And Troy Faltanu. And oh, we're yeah. not even talking about the guys on the other side of the ball. What you know? How, how do you think Braylon Trice would have taken that? I'm sure Braylon Trice made a lot of his decision based on what he thought was best for his future and where he is yeah. right now. But I guarantee you, he's looking on that side of the ball going, look at all those guys that came back. 
Look, well, look I, at the commitment yeah. that the guys on the offensive side of the ball are putting towards 2023. That means a lot to me. And now all of a sudden the architect is leaving and the house is like 75% built that, yeah, that's not right. Well, we've had Jen on podcasts before and you've heard Jen Cohen talk about how she deals with the coaches here because Jen Cohen truly believes that this is a real special place to be here at the University of Washington. She thinks it's completely different than anywhere else. And she's flat out told me up front with a lot of the other coaches, not so much the football coaches, but coaches on other programs. If the money's the thing that's the most important thing to you, this may not be the place for you. This is a special place and you can be here for a long time. And when you're taking a look at somebody like a Heather Tarr, but, you know, who was it? Jim McLaughlin from the volleyball program who had a lot of success left here and, you know, went to Notre Dame. He's no longer there. I can't remember the name of the golf coach, but the golf coach after some success here left. Matt Thurman. Yeah. And he went down to Arizona State. And what's got I mean, what's he been able to do there? So there's been some coaches who've left for greener pastures to find out that, it's not necessarily the greener pastures. And I think that's one of the things that bothered a lot of the UW people is they think that they've truly put something special together here with Kalen DeBoer and to go out and constantly flirt with that, you know, possible green grass on the other side. I don't think that just went over real well. It'll be interesting to see if there's any fallout from that. Well, again, I, I think it needs to be said, and I thought I was pretty clear before, this is Alabama, Kim. This is Nick Saban, and I'm sorry. This is like if you, this is like if you're Michael Penix, and and again you mentioned the agents. Yes, they they are. Oh they yeah. Are projecting a lot of chaos into the mix because they they want more money for their client because that means more money in their pockets. Everybody understands that. When it comes to Alabama, Nick Saban calling, he's maybe one of two or three guys in the entire country that when an, a, a a really proven offensive coordinator takes that call, you got to listen. You have to listen. And it doesn't mean he's going to take the job, but you have to listen. And I'm sorry, if if there are people listening to this right now who are going, I wouldn't have done, you're lying to yourself. That is not how it works in the real world. Well, there are tr- Chris, there are some people out there who would listen, but when you listen, that's one thing. But when you just got a bump to $2 million making you the next highest guy, and then you've convinced all those guys to go back, come back to you because of what you've got going. I understand taking the phone call. He took it a step further. And I think that's where some people, you know, and you may not have an issue with it, but I don't think you can speak for everybody. I can promise you there were some people who absolutely had an issue again after two after two bumps and thinking everything was fine. And then not only listening, because I'm sure you've got to listen, you've got to take the phone call, but then you actually go back. And, you know, a lot of the things when we talk about the agents, the agents are driving a lot of this, building the brand for their guys. And I am I'd bet a lot of money that the agent I I don't know if it's Jimmy Sexton or not, but I'd bet a lot of money that that move was pushed by the agents. And that's and that's fine. And, And the bottom line is I even get it if people are pissed off that Ryan Grubb took it a step further and actually visited this. But if you look at the look, let's look at the top players in the country, the top recruits in the country, there's a difference between accepting a phone call and talking to a coach on the phone, as opposed to setting up an official visit, one of your five official visits 
that you get a chance to take. There is a, there is a there is a a river that you cross between going okay I'm safe here I'm listening everything's fine and then when you cross that river now all of a sudden you're like okay now I'm on the other side where we're in serious territory we're, we're this this means something there's actual stakes involved here I've, I've I've picked this school as one of the schools that's my finalist because this is how serious I am about it so I get it when there's fans out there that go. Well, of course you take the phone call if it's Nick Saban, but if you're actually going to Alabama, that that ratches it ratches it up the stakes to a whole different level. And so that's why I get it where the blood pressure of Husky Nation goes way, way up and our bottom line goes way, way up. Hey, because Chris. the drama is set to an all time high. But the bottom line is there's only one person who truly knew in his heart what he was going to do and that's Ryan Grubb. And if and I think he's earned enough credit and put enough credit in the bank already in just one year at Washington where yeah. if he tells you on the air publicly for everybody that it wouldn't have been in his character to take that job knowing the effort he put in to get Michael Penix back, to get Jalen McMillan back, to get Roma Dunze back, to get all those guys back to bring the band back together yeah, wouldn't yeah. have been in his character to do it. You have to take him at his word. Hey, Chris, with our contract situation, I took phone calls. I took emails. See? <laughs> I, I don't remember text. you. Fly, I don't remember you flying anywhere though. So maybe you did, <laughs> but I wasn't aware. Back in the day, we took a couple of trips. Actually, we took a trip to, uh, we took a trip to, um, where was it? Uh, it wasn't Tuscaloosa. Where was it in Alabama? Birmingham. We went to Birmingham back in the day. See, and we went. You, you didn't go. Was it me and Dave or me and you who went that back? I to did not. I or, did not take that trip. Oh, boy. I'll, t- I'll have to tell you about that trip. So <laughs> that was uh, that to, was something. To quote, to quote Keith Gilbertson, that was not my lane. <laughs> uh, should we should we just go ahead and announce what we did here about a month ago? Should we? So should I don't we know. Wait? I didn't know. I didn't know it was a big secret. We'll or, maybe, or maybe maybe we're, you're talking about something that I'm not aware of. Maybe you're spilling maybe you're spilling tea and I and 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 I get to hear it for the first time too. Well, I had to sign it. Oh, okay. Should we break it here? I don't. I don't think this is breaking news, Kim. I think we're. I think you already put something out, didn't you? No, let's. Just, I don't think so. But I'll, I'll just go ahead and say it here. Um, we have um about a month ago um. It took a little bit of work to get it done and contract situation, but uh, we have signed a contract extension with 24-7 Sports. It's a multi-year agreement with options in there. Um, they're happy to have us, and we're happy to be with them. Um, <laughs> we took phone calls, and we took texts and emails, and uh, there were other options on the table. But, uh, you know, to be able to work with some of the best in the business, working with Greg Biggins and Brandon Huffman and some of the publishers of the other sites in the network has just been a huge deal to us to be able to talk with. Why am I spacing the guy from Alabama who's been there forever? Why am I spacing um, the guy I was talking with? Do you know who I'm talking about, Chris? I do, but I, I can't remember. 
Yeah, and he's been covering. He's, you've been talking to him, not me. Yeah, he's been covering Alabama since Bear Bryant days. So uh, we had a lot of going back and forth with him when we were dealing with the Jimmy Lake situation. And um, it's kind of different back at Alabama. They don't get to talk with the assistant coaches, but we got confirmation that Ryan Grubb was in the building. So it was great to work with the people from Alabama. The guys at USC and UCLA are great. The guys at uh, Arizona, Arizona State are great. Get back in Colorado. We just work with so many really, really good publishers. But being at 24-7 and signing the long-term uh, agreement um, gives us a lot of stability. We know where we're going and uh, <clears throat> very, very happy to continue our relationship with them. Um, they help us in a lot of ways. And the big thing is, Chris, they pretty much leave us alone. But yeah, we're, it's not like we're high maintenance at all. We're pretty low maintenance. We we just get the job done. <laughs> I think we have the worst of all worlds. I think we're pretty low maintenance, but I think the perception is we're pretty high maintenance. How are we high maintenance? <laughs> I don't know. I just don't. What I was thinking of now that it's interesting, now that Bruin Report Online and and, and the guys at, at, at the USC side with Ryan Abraham and all those great guys, does this mean now that that uh, that the the Oregon side and the Washington side are now the are are we now the kings of Poop Island? No, we are. <laughs> I mean, hello, it's just, it's just us. It's just hello. us. Hello, we okay. are. All right. I, I mean, what about the, what about the Coot fan guys? They have a they have a stake in this. Chris, you see the stats with those two schools gone. You know, USC's the king of the West Coast. And we're right there with us with UCLA, but everybody else is behind us. So Cam, Cam I, I'm I'm like a worm, man. They they feed me garbage and keep me in the dark. They don't <laughs> they don't tell me anything. <laughs> Our numbers are really good. Our numbers are really good, but uh, and, See, again, now, and now you jinxed the whole thing. We're fine. <laughs> it's just hard okay. to believe that we've been doing it for 26 years. I've been doing it. For well, it sounds, sounds like we're doing it for longer than that now. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, we're kind of stuck. So, <laughs> anyways, uh, just we'll finish wrapping that part of it up. We'll be with 24-7 Sports for uh, for quite a long time. So, with the, uh, the long-term agreement and the options uh, going forward, uh, we're in a great space. It'll just be interesting to see what we look like in three, four years because we look dramatically different today than we did three, four years ago. And we just seem to keep on adapting. And I think that's the key, Chris, is we seem to keep on adapting to, uh, you know, what what's uh, changing. And I think the next big thing that's going to change for us is more podcasts where the network finally gets that portion of what we do figured out. So we'll see. Well, the biggest, the biggest lesson I've learned in all this over the years, Kim, working with you and Scott and Dave and everyone else, you don't have a choice. <laughs> you adapt or die. It's that simple. Well, yeah. Did, I, I mean, you remember me talking about back in the day, just how shocked and surprised I was that how slow the newspapers were to adapt to the Internet. And I, I know I've told this story before, but when we go back to Tyrone Willingham being hired, that story was actually broken in the Seattle Times. And back then you had to have permission to break something on online back with them. That's how slow they were to react to everything. And, you know, now you have to have permission to hold it for the newspaper. So that's how much things have changed. And the newspapers have been really, really, really slow to adapt to what's going on online. And that's why so many of them are in the financial difficulty. And uh, no disrespect to the Seattle Times, you know, where they have a big uh, following overall uh, 
you know, with the entire newspaper, but I can promise you more Husky fans are reading dogman.com than any other outlet out there. So that's just, just the way it is. So it's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Speaking of contracts, you're going to love this segue. Yeah. Let's talk about the Ohio State contract. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know that UW officials were not pleased about the cancellation of that contract, but it makes sense on their end. And I think if Washington had been in the same situation that they probably would have done the same thing because this thing is about one thing and one thing only, and that's money. And they were able to pay $500,000. And I think it could wind up being more depending on what's in that contract. But I've heard that those numbers could go higher up to seven figures. But when you talk about USC and UCLA being added to the conference, Ohio State more than likely is going to have one more difficult game per year. And if you can go ahead and pay a half a million dollars to a Washington and eliminate that tough game on the road and then bring in a school like Toledo and pay them a couple million dollars where they're generating eight million dollars on game day. I think it purely comes down to a financial decision with the way things are going. And uh, it it was purely a money grab. And I mean, do you blame them for dropping Washington, paying them a half a million to a million bucks and bringing in a Toledo like Alabama does, you know, late in the year, bringing in that soft team and, you know, they're going to make eight million bucks on a game day. Oh, yes. I blame them 100 (laughs) percent. If if that's the way you feel, you should never have scheduled it. Yeah, well, my, things, my, things my, were different back then when they scheduled yeah, that. Well, again, and that's why I'm wondering how much of this is basically based on USC and UCLA moving there, and the fact that they could there was a potential they could have multiple trips to the West Coast that year because they don't know the schedule obviously hasn't been set. Um, I, how much of that do you think is it is it really all about that tough game, or do you think that there's any credence to the idea that there's some people out there that believe? This series got canceled because Washington and, and obviously Oregon, I think, could get tied into this, too, that 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 maybe there's a move for Washington to another conference here in the works sometime soon. Yeah, I'm, I'm not buying that. Um, I, I Like I said, I think it's purely a money grab. And you with Michigan scheduled to be visiting Washington, is it next year? I don't think there's any way in hell that game happens. Yeah, I, that's that's what I'm wondering. I mean, I know Oregon's got a home and home set up with Oregon State here at some point, you know, but I, I don't think that's going to happen for a little bit. So they might be able to mitigate those types of things. But is that a series that could be in jeopardy 
Um, I know John Wallner went through it and, and had a list of all of the the Big Ten, Pac-12, non-conference schedule things going on in the next five to ten years. Could we see all of those go by the wayside? I mean, I just at this point, does anybody see a Big Ten school schedule a home and home with a Pac-12 school anytime soon? I just don't see it. I, I don't. If, if this is truly how the Big Ten is going to react to expanding and including two West Coast schools, they've just done it and basically screwed over the rest of the West Coast. Well, then in addition, when you take a look at how hard it is to get teams to come to play at Washington and how expensive it is, where's Jen Cohen going to find another game? Where's she going to find it? And that's the other thing, too, is that this how much does this spill over to the SEC adding Texas and Oklahoma knowing that Washington's got a home and home with Tennessee coming up in the next five, six years. Is that, is that going to have an impact? Are we going to see the SEC follow the same kind of path that the big 10 is clearly on right now when it comes to trying to play football out West? Well, when you talk about Jen Cohen having to go out and find another game, Ohio's (laughs) Washington, Ohio state are going to be competing to find the same teams to come play a home game. That's what it's yeah. going to come down to. I just I just remember when that Tennessee thing came out. I remember that was the worst kept secret for us in the world. We knew about oh. that for months. Oh yeah. And and it had and it wasn't getting finalized. It wasn't getting public. It wasn't it. And and finally it came out. And you think about all the effort that schools, especially on the West Coast schools end, like Washington, to get these schools to commit to doing the like. I wonder how much wrangling it really took for Washington to convince LSU to do their home and home back 10 years ago, for instance. Can't even Scott, imagine. Scott Woodward. Come on. Well, that was easy. I'm sure that's a huge part. That was a huge part of it. Him and Mark Emmert, for sure. Huge part of it. Yeah. But that's the thing. Unless you literally have that kind of an in with your, you know, with your administration, I just don't know how those things are going to get done out west anymore. It just it seems like the 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 smaller the country is getting, Kim, in terms of having these conferences go coast to coast now. I mean, the Big Twelve having West Virginia, the Big Ten having Rutgers and Maryland. Now they have USC and UCLA. I mean, it feels like the country is shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. Yet at the same time, it feels like they're getting more and more segregated. Because of these scheduling constraints. And that's yeah. just the weird irony of it all. Yeah, I, it's funny because when I talk to Jen every once in a while, she's she just absolutely cracks up what people think that Chris Peterson would want to be the athletic director. She says Chris Peterson laughs at her and says, I don't know why you do this. But being uh, the athletic director and we're just talking about football, not all the other stuff that they have to deal with, because it seems like 90 percent of the problems that the athletic directors have to deal with come from the Olympic sports. You know, football is a lot easier. It's just magnified because everything's so much bigger. But, uh, yeah, Jen Cohen, she's got a lot on her plate. I wouldn't want to do it. Yeah, maybe for a year for the money, but that's about it. So, anyways. Well, speaking of that and, and what's on her plate, do we do we now move to basketball? Yeah, I don't want to dive deep into it. Obviously, there's some problems there. Um, you know, they're what they win their 16th game last night. Uh, I believe so. They're yeah, they're they're on a third game or a three game winning streak. I do know that. 
So they're, yeah, they're 16 and 13, uh, eight and 10. They got a chance to get back to 500 uh, for the year in the, in the league, which would be pretty remarkable. Uh, yeah. that, w- that means they would have to win their last five games. So, you know, interesting times for sure. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about this, you add context and then you get the people you're just making excuses. No, we're adding context. Losing Noah Williams the first game of the season, it's huge. Noah was expected to be a huge part of this team with what he does. The attitude, the toughness that he brings would add a different uh dynamic to the team and then in addition losing big frank kepnong and we're all able to see what's happening with noah um when um why am i spacing braxton mia goes out or gets in foul trouble the whole dynamic of the team changes so they were hoping to have that two-headed monster all year they went through a period where keon brooks had to sit out a couple of games uh where they haven't had noah that much now pj fuller's been out for a little bit and injuries have kind of really taken their toll on the team and a couple of guys that were expected to redshirt in uh, Corin Robinson. Corin had off the season shoulder surgery, and they expected him to redshirt because he wasn't able to get into the uh, weight room at all. And they were expecting him to redshirt, you know, so he could build some strength back up. And, you know, that was one of the things when you talk about putting Noah um, Williams back into the lineup with Keon Menafield and Corin Johnson, those two guys are pretty slight and pretty small. And, you know, Noah brings that bigger body, that physical type and that attitude to it. So losing him was a pretty big loss. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of disinterest in the basketball team right now. So we'll see what happens. Um, you know, there's a couple of games left. I think if Mike Hopkins could pull out these last two um, conference game, I think Stanford's going to be a huge game. That home game against Washington State could be huge and then go down and get a first round win down at in the tournament and put them at 19 wins. I, I think you'll see Mike Hopkins return next year. So that would put them at 19 and 14 or 19. Yeah, it would be 19 and 14, I guess, by the end if they did all that. Yeah. Uh, 10 and 10. Uh, in league, you know, is that enough to, I mean, could that get them an NIT berth? I don't know, but you know, the thing of it is that make no mistakes and, you know, and people just don't understand this, but there's some financial issues with the athletic department. There truly is. Basketball is never going to be a sport that's going to make a dent in the bottom line. It's all about football. And as people say, if you want to support women's softball and rowing and all the other Olympic sports, if you want to support those Olympic sports, support football, they lost a ton of money, a ton of money on COVID by not having any fans in attendance. It cost them a lot of money not to do that. They lost a lot. And then this whole thing with, uh, you know, the PAC 12 and they're, they're not going to get four to $5 million this year, you know, with their TV contract where they took too much money. Thank you, Larry Scott. But, uh, you know, when we're talking about not Chris, are you clear on what Mike Hopkins buyout is? Is it 3 million or 6 million? Well, I think it was it's whatever it is. It's it's it would have to be with cause for them to be able to to trim it or to be able to have him, you know, leave without anything at this point. Because right now, it would be the full full contract amount. That's my understanding. I I, I understood it to be guaranteed, but maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong about that. 
Yeah, well, it, you know, if you're talking about paying him six million, Washington's still on the hook for another six million to Jimmy Lake for next year, and then having to not receive the media revenues from their uh, TV guys. That's that's putting a pretty big big dent into the budget where they've already got some financial issues because some of it comes from you know it looks like pretty much everybody on the football uh program got a bump as well oh yeah everyone but julius brown so juice uh, i think is the only one right now who did not so he he's the only one that didn't get an extension so because if he would have gotten an extension he would have gotten a bump and that's a whole nother story what you know we could look into what that means but you know when we take a look at the basketball team you know, it, it's going to be interesting. You know, next year they'll have Noah Williams back at full strength. They'll add Frank Kepnong. They'll add the number two shooting guard in the country and Wesley Yates. Could we see any turnover on the staff? And at the end of the year, and this is common, you know, where Jen Cohen has all of the coaches come in after the end of the year with a plan going forward. And I think one of the things that Jen Cohen's going to want to see out of Mike Hopkins is how do we improve the offense? Because right now the offense is broken. It just doesn't work. Does he make a change on the staff to bring in uh, an offensive coach that can change that offense around? Uh, I think that's going to be key is, you know, what's the plan going forward? And usually those meetings take place a couple weeks after the end of the season. And this isn't unique to basketball. It happens with every coach uh you know at university of washington it happens with lorenzo it happened with chris peterson and uh you know some are just different than the others yeah i think it's going to be interesting kim you know in the postseason because we know you know definitely when they had conversations with players like jamal bay and whether or not he should come back for his final year you know i know they had real difficult tough conversations about that yeah and i and i wonder how much of that process it, it kind of colored Hopkins assessment for what, how he's going to approach it this off season, because deep down inside, I wonder how much they feel like bringing Jamal Bay back was a good thing. I just wonder, I, I and I'm not trying to characterize it one way or another. I guarantee you, I know how the fans, the majority of fans feel about it. I wonder how the coaches feel about it. And I well, wonder how his particular situation is going to influence how they deal with things in the offseason when it comes to other very, very tough conversations they're going to have to have with some of these players. Well, they you, there's some guys out there they're going to have to have talks with. Yeah, and they they need uh, one more attrition for next year because they uh, uh, have Christian King uh, coming in as well, and he's a six eight uh, forward from Seattle Prep, who is the son of Rich King. If you uh, old timers remember, he Rich King was the first round draft pick out of Nebraska by the Sonics back in the day, and Christian King is a six eight shooter, and uh, they've got him on the. Um, uh, on the waiting list to come in for a spot. But then there's two or three other guys that you have to wonder about. I'm not going to get into a lot of speculation because I don't think it's fair to the guys, but you know, we'll see if they have attrition of uh, uh, more than one. Uh, there's talk whether um, Keon Brooks will be coming back. Everything I've heard is that it looks good for him returning for next year. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, and I think and so. everything you said is accurate, Kim, but it is all dependent 
on the assumption that everyone outside of Bay is coming back. Cause obviously Jamal is the one guy who graduates. Right. So that's, that's the assumption. Now, obviously do I think that's an assumption that, that people should make? No, because, because attrition always happens. It happens every year. We joke about the Romar math back in the day. It's going to be Hopkins math now. You know, what is, what is nine plus six minus three plus 12 plus whatever. It's going to always equal 13 guys. Always. That's just 13. How it it's always 13. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't matter. It always, the numbers always seem to take care of themselves. Well, it always ends up being 13 at most. We've seen Hopkins have lineups over the years where he hasn't even had the full complement of guys. And well, how about, well, how about the thing that, you know, we really didn't touch too much on it, but. Remember how close Fardaz was to coming in the beginning of January? Oh, we're not, we're not, we're not talking about that, are we? Really? <laughs> Don't need no, to. That, that, I mean, that, yeah, that, that, it sounds, it sounds really cool, right? There's it sounds funny stuff great. Always going on. There's funny stuff always going on. It sounds great, but again, we are in the NIL era, Kel, and yeah. so every everything that sounds good in theory can get blown apart in a nanosecond, depending on how big the check is that you want to write. <laughs> yeah. and right? what kind of car? And that's that, that's I'm not trying to be hyperbolic there. I it's that's just a fact. Yeah. No. So there like I said, there's always some crazy stuff. So I, I think off season basketball could be interesting. And you know when it comes down to it, is Hop the guy or not? I like Mike Hopkins a lot. I know a lot of people like him and I, I think he's a great defensive coach. I think the thing that just needs to be fixed if if there's a pathway to this offense to dramatically change the offense so that this team can score more. I think that's going to be what will determine if Mike Hopkins is the short-term or the long-term answer going forward, because it definitely needs to be fixed. I mean, because right now I don't know what's worth uh, Mike Hopkins offense on basketball or John Donovan's offense under Jimmy Lake. Well, it is interesting because he always seems to find kind of wrinkles that that almost always seem to work near the end of the season, but it took him a whole season to get there. Like granted, he's not going to, he's not going to be able to figure out everything right away. When you lose an impact defender, like Frank Kepnang, you lose an impact defender like Noah Williams, but this full court pressure that they're employing and it's token pressure. It's not, they're not going whole hog, like two, one, two trapping all that crap, but this token pressure to, 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 to kill the shot clock, it just looks like it works with this group, and it just seems like it's something that they've locked in on that has really worked for them and has created some things in transition. Yeah. It's helped them in that way, but I think it's really helped them defensively. I mean, the last three or four games where they've employed it, they look like a different team off uh, on, well, de- on the. But would it have worked earlier in the year? Because we're still talking two freshmen with Corin Johnson and. K- Keon Menafield and yep. we were talking about you know when Keon first went into the starting lineup and he had 20 points the first couple of days and then all of a sudden there's a scout on him and he struggled for a while so would it have worked earlier in the year and will the next couple of teams seeing what Washington's doing will they adjust with the scout on that so um you know if for every move that a team makes there's always a counter to it and then keep in mind Braxton Mia he hardly played at all the last couple of years at Fresno State. This is the first time he's had those extended minutes. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. Those are all good points. I think the nice thing and the wrinkle about this pressure is that it's not super intense. So you can try to scout against it and you can try to employ certain things, maybe try to get the ball 
up court quicker. But I, it, to me, it just they're kind of playing that thing perfect where it's just enough pressure to just kind of slow things down for the other team's offense. It doesn't really impact them. They can get it over the line in plenty of time, even though Cal did. Uh, actually, they did induce a shot clock violation uh, um, in the backcourt at least once or maybe twice against Cal. But, you know, generally speaking, it's not even really for that. It's just to slow it down and to, like, get them just ever so slightly off their game and, and just that that extra five or whatever seconds it is to take them to get into their offense, half-court offense, seems to be really doing a trick. Chris, we've gone almost an hour. We've been all over the place today. <laughs> Well, this that was your that was your plan, wasn't it? Well, yeah, there's just not a lot going on. So when we started this, what are we going to talk? about? I mean, about? if we if we really are going to pull the curtain back, if you're talking about contracts and everything, like, you know, yeah. we're talking before we even hit record, and I'm like, okay, what's the show sheet? And you're like, ah, we'll wing it. <laughs> I'm the king so of wings. So this you know? is this is apparently what we do now. I'm the king of winging it. We used to do that at KJR all the time. Yeah. Okay. Well. That, yeah. That, I mean, that's I fair. get. Those guys, those guys come in and they're prepared for their show. We used to go in and five minutes before, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> we put it together like in three or four minutes. Okay. So anyways, so uh, final thoughts, anything else you want to go over before we end this and wrap it up, Chris? Well, I just think that, you know, the schedule for spring football is going to be so interesting. And from the media perspective, I don't know how much Washington fans know. So we're going to be able to be, in to see the entire practices for the first uh, for the first three. So those first three practices starting a week uh, from Monday. So the sixth, the eighth and the 10th, we're going to be able to see. And then starting with the pro day, we aren't going to be able to see that practice. We are going to go obviously be able to go to the pro day. But then those those so those final 12 practices, we're only going to be able to see in their entirety four of them until the spring game. So. That's a difference for us. Usually we'd have been able to go to all of them, whatever, you know, but we, you know, you can't talk about specific plays. You can't talk necessarily about injuries. You can certainly ask the coaches and the players, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll still be able to have access to post-practice interviews with players and coaches and coach DeBoer, but we're only going to be able to see four practices once they reconvene after spring break. And I find that to be really, really interesting. And, um, you know, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, just uh, a little bit of a lull time of year. We've got the Stanford game on Sunday, Washington State game. Is that next Wednesday or is it next Thursday? Oh, I would have thought it was on the weekend. No, uh, no I think it's Thursday. Oh, it is. A th- you're right. The second. It's Thursday. Yeah. Thursday. So yeah. it's the day, the day before the football press conference. And then we uh, just so uh, I'm I'm actually taking a little bit of time off. I'm heading down uh, Saturday mornings down to Palm Springs, Palm Desert. I can't remember the poster, but he's got his condo for sale. He said to take a flyer. I will take a flyer, make sure to leave a cooler full of beer for me and the guys. So be in Palm Springs for a couple of days, then back. And then I'll be heading down to the Pac-12 basketball tournament as well. We got spring football coming up. So it just seems like. we're always busy. It's just a little, little bit of a lull. So hey, I got a, I got a question. Is our yeah. head of hoops, if, is our head of hoops going to Vegas this year? Do we know? know? He may meet up with me down there. I got to talk to Aaron. So okay, a beach. If you're listening to this, go to Vegas, man. You, you've yeah. earned. Yeah, uh, I'll have to talk to him. I don't know if the um, deadline for credentials has expired or not. 
Well, he doesn't actually have to work the game. No, he that would be that would be work. Why would you want it? Why would you want him to work? That would that, yeah. that's no good. He can go for pizza pizza late late night like we always do. There so, you go. There you anyways, go. all right. So anything else you need from me, Chris? Anything else at all? No, I think this is plenty. <laughs> I think we've let people in on a lot more than I would have cared to tell them, but that's cool. All right. So hey, for all of us at Dogman.com. Thoughts and prayers to Scott Eklund on his return trip with the kids on the plane. If they still sold farts in a jar, I would have bought those for the kids. So, um, by the way, you just, I'll have to bring one of the things I bought for my um, niece. It's her birthday coming up. It's my niece. It's my nephew's daughter. But I always uh, Google obnoxious toys for kids. You should see the stuff I buy. I got a yodeling yeah, pickle. Don't. I got please a yodeling. Don't. I got a yodeling pickle for her. So. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> Anyways, for all of us at Dogman.com, I'm Kim Grinnells along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund to return next week. Go dogs. Go dogs.